Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to talk about Underseller Myconid in uh, Historic Alchemy Baldur's Gate. Underseller Myconid might be a somewhat different structure than I usually use for this podcast. Uh, I typically focus on an archetype as defined by some color of combinations, but I feel like Underseller Myconid is kind of its own archetype in this format. And so I want to talk about the card itself and its implications and how to like use that. I believe Underseller Magnet is the best common in the set. It does not have the highest game in hand win rate, which is the uh, usual like go-to stat that I would use for such a claim. However, it does have the second highest game in hand win rate as well as the highest opening hand win rate and the highest, well, second highest by 0.1 improvement when drawn. It's behind Blessed Hippogriff, which is kind of the other contender for best common. Uh, Blessed Hippogriff has a better game in hand win rate and a better game played win rate, where Myconid has a better opening hand win rate and better improvement when drawn. I believe that it's relatively clear that Blessed Hippogriff's stats are better because white is a stronger color than green and so like the support around blessed hippogriff is typically better where uh myconid itself is a stronger card and um i think that the improvement when drawn on myconid as well as the really really stellar opening hand win rate are kind of what's so special about underseller myconid the other good green cards are expensive creatures that are good to play after you play Myconid, specifically Owlbear, Hillgiant, Herdgorger, and Dread Linarm. All of those are really strong cards that can be too slow if you don't have Myconid, but if you do have Myconid, they're amazing. And I think that uh, Underseller Myconid basically just like carries green as a color all by itself. It is really, really, really strong because... The green decks, since they have so many strong, more expensive cards, have a pretty easy time beating most of the other decks in the format if the game goes long. And Myconid, by ramping you, plus giving an extra blocker, plus really punishing your opponent if their solution is to use a removal spell on it, because then you're basically just like up or raise the alarm on a one-for-one trade in the early game, which is like kind of backbreaking for the like normal aggro decks that have like a decent number of one and two toughness creatures. It really just like the game is completely different when you start with a Myconid versus when you don't, when your opponent's trying to attack you. And if they're like not trying to attack you, then I think the rest of your deck is going to be really well positioned in most matchups in the format, just like because you're playing green. So Myconid is basically, I think that you can't have a green deck that's like just commons and good without Myconid. Whereas if you have like multiple Myconids, then it's kind of hard not 
to have a good deck um, if, if you're like green cards and myconids. Because all of the other cards in green that are good are pretty interchangeable and myconids doing something unique, you should take it more highly than all the other green cards. It is currently drafted more highly than other, any other green card, correct, common, correctly, but I think the gap should be even bigger. I think that uh, myconid is basically the reason to go into green. You should not take green commons unless you have myconid or you like already have a bomb or something or they're just like way better than the other cards in the pack but like it myconid is green like you, you really don't want to be green without myconid like i looked at recent trophy decks that were green and i had to look at 14 different green decks that trophied to find a single one that didn't have myconid they had more like two on average if it just gave green mana i think that like a lot of what i've said about it would still be true but the fact that it gives mana of any color is also independently a really, really big deal because every good common in the set is either green, grim bounty, or single pip, which means that you can splash basically anything. And there are a lot of like powerful single pip instant speed good removal spells at common, as well as just like powerful uncommons and rares that Myconid gives you access to. And this is a format where the gap in power level between the best cards and the normal cards is very, very big. So being able to splash random best cards that you see is really important. So Myconid both just like gives you what you need in your game plan in green in terms of like stabilizing you in the early game and getting you to your big stuff while also letting you solve you know potential issues with not having good removal by letting you splash for like dragons fires and humiliations and it's even the best humiliation enabler since it gives you two bodies which is really really important for uh enabling your humiliation it also works really well with Splashing Steadfast Unicorn, um, which, again, really likes the fact that you get the extra body from the Myconid and also gives you more mana to use the Unicorn. Unicorn, I think, is one of the more important commons in the format. Um, when I was looking at the uh, trophy decks, most of the ones that were green and white had multiple Unicorns. That makes a lot of sense. Green is... The, the way your game plays with these green decks is like your opponent comes out a little er earlier than you. You play Myconid, that stabilizes. Then you start like casting big stuff. It's hard to like attack with the big stuff because you've probably like taken some damage. And so you have like these like big bodies that are like holding off your opponent's multiple sm small bodies that they likely made from like attacking early with double team or whatever. And it can be hard to turn the corner. And so sometimes you end up just kind of like, you need to sit back, they need to sit back. But if you have a steadfast unicorn, then after you play some of these big bodies, instead of just sitting there, you activate it, you give your team vigilance, you attack, and now your opponent's on a really, really short clock and you don't have to expose yourself to a race. So I think even if you're like green, black, like unicorn is a very reasonable card to splash which is pretty unusual for a you know one mana one two but it's it's a really important card in the format especially in uh green decks really just everywhere though unicorns really 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 good and important yeah myconid essential to every green game plan lets you splash though that's unnecessary 
and it's tricky uh, splashing in this format. There are a lot of ways, there are a lot of cards that let you splash, and there are a lot of cards that you want to splash, but most things that enable splashes are really bad. This is a format that punishes you for messing around spending mana to fix your mana rather than spending mana to impact the board. So like follow the path or whatever it's called, the thing that uh, puts a gate into play, or like the three mana mana artifact that taps for a mana of any color and lets you spend four mana to like maybe put a land into play and stuff. Those cards and Prophetic Prism are cards you would really prefer not to have to play, but you can, if you're looking to splash, support Myconid with uh, Pilgrim's Eye and Druid of the Emerald Grove, which are not so bad. So you can get some redundancy on your fixing. You want most of it to come from Myconid, but you can supplement with the good cards, Pilgrim's Eye and Druid, and then if you're like, if you really need to, you can play, you know, Prophetic Prism or something to make it work if the, like, payoff is good enough. You prefer not to have to, but sometimes, you know, Mike and Id gets you most of the way there, but not all the way there, and then it's worth, like, rounding out with some extra fixing. You wouldn't want to do it, like, if you had to do it entirely the hard way, like, just Prophetic Prisms and no Mike and Ids, it usually wouldn't be worth doing. But if you get most of the way there with Mike and Ids, then it's a lot easier for it to be worth rounding out with some of the other fixing. So you can end up playing green decks that play, you know, some pretty ambitious mana bases in this format, and it's all kind of like held together with Mike and it. Uh, but again, even if you're not doing that, Mike and it is still just the best green common. So as far as what this means, basically it's just like, if you're getting past Mike and it's, that's a sign the green's open. You should... Really try not to be green without Myconid. You should always take Myconid over like every other common if you are playing Myconid. If you have one Myconid, then you want a second Myconid over any non-Myconid common. The more you have, the more expensive stuff you can afford to play and the more aggressively you can splash. The fewer you have, the more you're looking to play more like a regular deck. The more you're looking to, you know, just like have a good curve of creatures that starts pretty low and try to be like somewhat aggressive and stuff. The more mechanics you have, the more they kind of like answer what the format's normally about and let you do, you know, fancier, bigger stuff. Like the very unsuccessful, uh, like teamer dragon archetype is a fine like top end to a deck with a bunch of myconids, but you're going to just like get run over if you don't have like an infrastructure of myconids to do it. Specialize incidentally also helps with splashing in the format because if you don't draw your fixing, you can just discard the specialize the splash card to a specialized thing, which is pretty nice as far as like if you're trying to splash a few cards. As far as like where I see this format in general, I basically think that there are two archetypes that are good. One is any two of the Mardu colors in a fairly aggressive configuration. And I think that like those three decks, uh, black, red, black, white, and red, white are all like pretty structurally similar. Like they want the same cards. They want the same game plans. Um, they're all kind of doing the same thing. And then Myconid and Stuff is like the other archetype. It plays a little bit differently. It's looking for very different cards. And so if other people at your table have a similar philosophy, then if you're getting all the Myconids, then you're getting all of the cards that go with Myconids. And your the other people at the table are like fighting for the, you know, just like 
good Mardu cards and you can use some of them that you happen to see uh, as splashes and then mostly just play, you know, good green value stuff and powerful cards. If you're in a seat where it's clear that you're getting Myconids, then you're in a good seat and you should be happy to just do that thing. Strategy that's this fundamentally open-ended, like it's just, you know, any green cards, any other cards, anything, as long as you have like a bunch of Myconids to make it work. Uh, it's hard to like go into a lot of details about it. So this is more just like PSA, really like don't sleep on Myconid and don't like the other green cards that have good stats, I believe have those good stats only because Myconid is also in the set. And if Myconid is not in your deck, then I think that those cards are not going to do well. Hill Giant Herdgorger has like much better stats in this format than it did in uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And I think that that's because uh, Myconid makes it playable. That's that's what I got. Myconid is what's up. That's my entire thesis. <laughs> um, so uh, let's turn it over to questions. Oh, that's actually a really good question. So this question is, what are you looking to do on turn two in your Myconid decks? The answer is something. And the reason I say it's a good question is that uh, that's something that I wanted to talk about that I forgot to talk about. It's easy to find plenty of top end because there's just like a bunch of interchangeable expensive uh, green creatures that are good. And, uh, you know, you can also just like play more expensive creatures of other colors and your mana is going to work by the time you're casting them. Uh, but you do still want to do something on turn two. You still want to prioritize two drops. You know, where in the aggressive decks, you might want like six or seven two drops. I think in your Myconid decks, it's fine to have like five two drops, but you do want to make sure that you're like playing, you know, random two mana creatures. And I don't think that it honestly matters all that much what they are. You want to make sure that they're in your, you know, green or whatever your other primary color is. You don't want to be like splashing them. Uh, and like you would rather play some kind of, you know, mediocre green creature like a Null Hunter, then the issue drop that you might not be able to cast on too. Like if you're splashing black, you'd rather have a Null Hunter than like a Prowler, even though Prowler's a much better card. But like, if you're only going to play one Swamp, you want to like actually be able to cast your thing on too. And then, I mean, you also, of course, want all of the, you know, Humiliations and Dragons Fires and stuff that you can get as additional two mana plays that you can play on turn two if your opponent plays a creature. Usually you'll play them later. But yeah, you, you definitely still want to prioritize twos. You're looking to not play very many threes that aren't premium threes because you want to just like always play, you know, Myconid on three if you can. And you never, you don't want to be like, oh, I have too many threes. I'm not happy to take this Myconid. Um, you want to, you know, kind of like leave room while you're drafting to find more of them or to find Pilgrim's Eyes or to find um, like Priest of Forgotten Lore or whatever premium three drop your other color offers. But yeah, you, you do still want to prioritize twos quite a bit. What is the threshold number of Myconids a deck wants before it should start taking top end payoffs like Linarm over another Myconid? Six or something? Like you, you really just take the Myconid. Like for any realistic number, you're going to want to take a Myconid instead. Maybe the number is actually four and not six. Like maybe you're supposed to take like your second top end thing over your fifth Myconid. 
but the top end is super interchangeable, especially if you have a lot of myconids and you can just like play random, you know, air cult and earth cult elementals and stuff and just like whatever random six drops you happen to see, um, you know, like some adventure creatures or uncommon dragons or whatever. Yeah, it, it's really just like always myconid over um, top end stuff. Uh, does green white play different from other myconid decks for me? Not especially. I mean, like, I think that having Unicorn versus not having Unicorn is significant, but I don't know that it really affects the play pattern. Like, either way, you're kind of, you know, just, like, trying to stabilize and then go over the top of the opponent, and Unicorn just helps you kind of, like, turn the corner faster. But I think that, like, fundamentally, the offerings of the like the support that you're getting from other colors is kind of interchangeable like you're gonna get some removal you're gonna get like you know some kind of two drop you're gonna get some like random good cards like value cards of some sort so i i think like fundamentally it's all very similar there might be like specific rares that like lead to a slightly different play pattern or something but again not really like even if you have stand together or whatever the party sweeper is called then it's like okay i have a sweeper rather than not so i play like a deck with a sweeper but it's still kind of just about like i'm gonna you know make this powerful play that's gonna change the course of the game and then from there i'm gonna have better late game than my opponent nothing springs to mind as like a way that it's gonna be like appreciably different fundamentally would you agree that you mainly want to play twos, threes, and over-the-top stuff, mostly skipping mid-range creatures, especially wanted to thank you for putting this out after the open and just cooled down? <laughs> yes, I, I agree that you, like, given that I'm suggesting that your deck is fundamentally about playing an accelerator on three, of course you're looking to deprioritize fours, which I think is a really natural thing to do in this format because I think that, like, across every color, the four mana creatures at common are not very good. Like, the format is really about two drops and then, to a lesser extent, one and three drops, and then... Like, there are some powerful five and six mana cards, but uh, the four mana cards, I mean, apart from Hippogriff, just, like, don't do enough more than three mana cards and do quite a bit less than the five mana cards, which I think is part of why Mykonid's so good. Because, like, you're not really looking to play fours whether you have Mykonid or not. Part of the issue is that, like, it's so important to block the creatures that have double team uh, or not even to block them, but to threaten to block some block them so that they don't have good attacks. So you can't really afford to have like a higher curve where you might miss a drop that might give your opponent a free attack. But then like the fours aren't like enough better than like the other things to like be like, to tempt you to be like, well, maybe it's worth having a slightly worse curve because I get like a really good card in exchange. So it's very, very, very easy and natural in the format to like, you know, not play fours regardless of like whether you wanted to prioritize them or not, which just means that Mike and Ed slots in really easily. 
which is part of why it's so good in the format. Uh, so like, yes, structurally, you want to play. I mean, you're trying to just not fall behind, which is why you want twos and threes. And then have powerful stuff so that you win late games, which is why you want like fives and sixes and sevens. Structurally, that's what you want to do. But also just the cards that exist in the format mean that you don't have to go out of your way at all to do it because they're just like, you're just playing the good cards anyway. So convenient. Are there alternate green decks that you can build if you don't see Myconids? So like I said, if you end up Myconid low... You need to just like do what the format's doing. You need to just take the green cards that play like cards in other colors, which I think, you know, you need to like find the aggressive green cards, which is like your, you know, null hunters and maybe like the plus three plus three trick and maybe even inspiring bard to like get good null hunter attacks and stuff. Your it's it's not a good situation. Like all of the best green cards are the expensive things that I think are too slow if you don't have Myconids to get you there. And then you can try to like build like a green ramp deck that doesn't have Myconids by using like the O2 dragon ramp guy, but it's just so much worse that you end up in the space where you fall behind early, then you play a big thing, then your opponent takes advantage of the fact that the format has a bunch of good removal spells to kill the big thing that you ramped out, and then they kill you with the creatures that they were getting down while you were playing your bad ramp stuff. Whereas, like, if it's a Myconid, then you stabilize earlier and uh, your opponent's removal doesn't line up as well. And you're not kind of just, like, down a card because you played this, like, O2 that doesn't fix your mana or do anything good. I think that, like, if you just have, like, really, really high power level because you have, like, some green rares or whatever, you can make it happen. But, like, fundamentally, you're... Uh, very, very handicapped compared to playing different colors if you're trying to play green cards without Myconid. I don't think there's just like some, oh, you can play this other green archetype that doesn't want Myconid. Do you need to get multiple Myconids? Not if you're lucky. Like you need to draw Myconid, but if you just always draw the one you have, you're in good shape. Um, you certainly want to get multiple Myconids. What uncommon would I take over Myconid pack one, pick one? I mean, there are a lot that I would take over Myconid pack one, pick one because I'm not attached to Myconid as the archetype that I'm playing. So like I would be fine taking just like a good Mardu uncommon and just not drafting green. Um, so I think the question is like kind of less interesting for pack one, pick one. And it's more interesting for like pack two, pick one, if you're already like a green deck and you have one Myconid and then like there's second Myconid or like a good uncommon. That's where it gets like a lot harder. I don't have a list offhand of like what the bombiest uncommons are, but I mean, broadly speaking, like I'm going to take most uncommons that have a higher game and hand win rate than Myconid, pack one, pick one, but there are, you know, substantially fewer uncommons that I would take over Myconid if I'm like already there. All right. Relatively short, straightforward episode, but, uh, I still believe that Baldur's Gate is a pretty straightforward draft format. I think there's just not like that much complexity to it. So that's what I have to say about it. So thanks for listening. And I am uh, recording at essentially the same time as this, another episode about uh, Double Masters. Uh, I'm not sure exactly 
what schedule these things are going to be coming out if you are uh, not listening live. This also might be the second one released if you're not listening live, though it was recorded first. I've been uh, sick. Um, I'm just getting over COVID now um, for the last couple weeks. So while I'd been meaning to get back into the swing of uh, doing things regularly, there was a bit of a delay there. After uh, this two-episode block, I'm hoping to be getting back into a more regular schedule starting with uh, another episode later this week and then getting back to uh, one per week. So thanks for listening. And uh, for those of you who are here live, stay tuned for uh, Double Masters. (laughs) 